0: Yeah, dirty balls you,
1: Saber. Come out now and fight! You need to be more like a dog. We don't need a bunch of cats in here. Looking in the mirror, be a doll. Whatever happens in Leash, it's always a scandal. Why do you think that was? Probably because we're always drinking and <laughs> <laughs> no smoke without fire. That goes light. I met Tomas O'Shea one day and he said, "I'm sick of that Northern crowd." He said, "If they went set dancing twice a week, we'd all be set dancing twice a
0: week." I can remember a lad, Jay Booth, right, and he was getting sick, right, lying like that, <laughs> looking at me like, and I'm going, "This is not helping me." Every man, woman, and monkey in me all is nearly writing them up. Shaking the
2: bucket. That's it.
1: Alright, sides are actually level now in Tullamoracle. They've uh, scored a goal there as well. So it's 1-1 apiece after 15 minutes in the Under-21 semi-final this afternoon. Right, up for discussion on our panel this afternoon. How does setting goals work and is there a difference between individual and team sports? Also, Brian O'Driscoll has said that Henry Sheffan is the greatest Irish athlete is he and in a week where a down footballer had to issue a statement to the GPA about comments he was reported to have made about teammates why is the relationship so bad between the press and our sports people joining us this afternoon Trevor Hogan former rugby player and activist Mossy Quinn All-Ireland winner with Dublin and Brian Gregan 400 metre runner or quarter miler we couldn't decide if the official title is 400 metres or quarter miler uh, 400 metres I'll go with yeah yeah cool you, um, you're you just back from Portugal you've got a, a tan that's making everybody else very jealous
3: Yeah, yeah, we were over in uh, just far from Farrow for two weeks, so, you know, put a bit of uh, training in and then we're heading to the Penn Relays next week with an Irish team to, you know, hopefully run well over there. Tell us a bit about warm weather training. Is it really important for sprinting at this time of the year so that you're not
1: stuck in the grey, terrible days that we've had for the last two weeks apart from today?
3: Yeah, I think... um, bit warmer on the training, you can kind of put a bit more speed on your training. When you're at home and it's cold, you're kind of wrapped up and, you know, you have to be careful to pull a muscle. So when you get away, you can, you know, run that bit faster and take a little bit longer recovery. And obviously, the recovery between sessions, you know, you can just sleep and stuff. You don't have to worry about either going to work or whatever. So, you know, it is pretty important to us. Mossy it makes sense
1: for uh, an athlete, for a sprinter and a runner. Does it make as much sense for Gaelic footballers as...
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Um, I think as Brian said, they're like they're used to their their full time at their at their sport, and as a GA team, to get to go away for a week, it takes you out of your normality, your days here where you're working, and then you're going to training in the evenings and things like that. So I think you can get a huge amount of work done. You'd probably get three to four weeks worth of work done in a week okay. when you go away between training sessions, meetings. Um, recovery all that kind of stuff i think you can get a huge bank of work done in like so it just depends on what time of year you put it in
1: it seemed it was really fashionable in the early part of the last decade and then we don't hear about it that much anymore
2: it's because people probably had money back then they could afford to go away um yeah i think it just depends certain coaches like it and um it brings a different element that you go away to, again there's the bonding part of it as well where yeah. you can have be it nights out or games of golf and things like that so that you wouldn't get over here like if, a, if the Dublin football team or the Kerry football team rocked up into a town some night you know, it might be more hassle than it's worth whereas if you're over somewhere away you go the video out for cameras
1: uh, the camera phones aren't coming out
2: yeah exactly that kind of thing but it just allows lads to relax in their own comfort and again they're probably they're spending more time with each other and it just builds a level of trust and you know every team is trying to get that little bit extra so sometimes that would have been viewed as an addition to that generally.
1: yeah does it work for a professional rugby teams Trevor did you guys do it?
0: Yeah we did Uh, as Mossy was saying it depends on on certain coaches I remember Czechs used to particularly like the south of France going away there for pre-season and Italy as well Um, where I remember when Joe came in he brought us down to Wexford for a change Um, so although the weather can be a bit of a factor alright, but it's more about bringing a tight-knit group of players together even closer um, yeah. and getting as much work done as you can in, in that week. But it's not, with rugby it's not really the weather factor I suppose in pre-season, it's all about just fine-tuning uh, areas on the field and, and maybe doing a little bit extra in the gym, so just having a facility where you can get all that done. So it's not the grunt work that you go away for, you do, do you do that in a field here? Well you can not yeah you will need the grunt work at that stage too but I I say at that, at some that stage in pre-season you really probably need to be fine tuning certain patterns and structures that you're trying to get into 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 um, into your t- type of play you know yeah. so
1: and is that done on the field sorry like is that a, or is that meetings as well kind of
0: where you're saying or it's a combination uh well it's it's, it's you'll probably need a little bit of work done on whiteboards and stuff but majority will be actually going through the plays and identifying what players are taking uh, certain roles carrying the ball or hitting a rock or what, what what areas of field you're gonna be looking to attack and, yeah. and different kind of things. So you're probably best doing that on the field itself. And Brian were you off on your
3: own? Is it like a or do you go as part of a bigger team? Um the Athletics Ireland usually have camps and stuff like that. But this year it was myself and my training group, so there's eleven of us out there in uh, Monte Gordo and then you know, there's other teams out there, the Polish team are there, there's Double Olympic champions just strolling around, you know. I think it's important that you don't go by yourself. I have training partners that you know help with the workload. Just knowing they go through the same pain as you kind of helps you get through a session. So yeah. How do you pick those? Because like with a team, it's kind of obvious.
1: There's a, a manager who goes, they are going to pick you guys or sign you guys, and, and that's our group. But for you,
3: I presume. Is it a personal thing where you, you get to pick who your training partner is? Um, not really. It's just, you know, we train up in Santry and uh, a couple of the guys will come up and train there. And, you know, you get to know them. They train with you and, you know, they improve and they race. And, you know, you just get used to training with them. Like some of the guys I train with, we just click like and, and we run certain times. I might give them, you know, a one or two second head start and, you know, I'll come after them and run like that. And, it's, you know, it's just important that you have someone else there to help you push you on. Yeah, I was just reading about Mo Farah today. Uh, he's over, I think, in Portland,
1: in Oregon, and has been there for the last couple of years, um, working with this world renowned coach who totally changed his style of training over a, a period of time. And it was that it's kind of when you're reading someone like Mo Farah with the massive success that he has explained the difference that one coach can make to him,
3: then you begin to get an insight into the sport and how, I guess, your coach is as important to you. Yeah, yeah, my, my coaches are very important. I have my um, track and field coach, John Shields, out in Santry and then I work closely, he works closely with uh, John Cleary out in the of Sport, who does my S&C. So it's important that they work together and they work with me and the physios and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I've only moved to the Institute of Sport recently in the last year or so and I've already dropped, you know, pretty much half a second off my my personal best. So, you know, when you get the right coaches working together, I think, it, you know, when things click, you know, you start to see the improvements. Given all, all of that, we
1: haven't yet brought up the last time we spoke to you was a period of intense disappointment for you. Are you
3: over what happened at the indoors? Yeah, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I think a lot more people are more upset for me than I was. You know, I the indoors were never a primary aim for me. You know, I just happened to be the European leader for five weeks. I couldn't believe I was number one in Europe for five weeks. And I went there and, you know, I knew I was going to win a medal. I had a really good chance of winning a medal if I made that final. But unfortunately, you know, I got clipped and, you know, that ended my season. But... You know, I just, you know, I took I had to take three weeks off to let the scar settle down and you know hurt my ankle as well. But we um, we're focusing on the, the World Championships in Moscow and more importantly for me the World Student Games in Kazan, Russia as well. So they're coming up in July and, and they're my main focus. Okay, you were tweeting pictures, obviously of the injury. Is it is it grand now? Um, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty it's, gross. It's, yeah, it's pretty much still a big a big scar there, but
1: um, it, it's healing quite well. All right. It's interesting you bring up goals. Uh, I'm glad you did because we were talking with John Giles, as we do every Thursday on Off the Ball. and We were talking to him about how to preserve and enhance your God-given athletic gifts was um, how he was phrasing it. I asked him if he was keen himself on setting goals ahead of every season in order to reach the potential. Here's his answer. No, no. I never believe it should never set
4: goals, dear, because I see like, and I man who say, well, uh, you know, we planned after three months to have you know, 24 points and we get two, two, three points here in the point. It doesn't, doesn't work. All you've got to do is keep yourself fit. I'm talking about as a player now. Keep yourself fit and you know the old saying, one match at a time. You can only play one match at a time and do the best for that match and if you're doing your best for that match and you play well, the points will look after themselves. You don't, you don't set the goal for the points because yeah. you could say, like any manager could say, well, we're set a goal for, say, uh, 40 points by Christmas. Well, why not set a goal for 80 points before Christmas? It doesn't mean anything. You, you can't do that all you do is you look after yourself play the next match play the next match as best you possibly can and then you learn from that match hopefully you learn from every match and then you should get better and better as you get older you can, you, but you have to maintain your fitness that's, that's your machine Yeah. the rest then is, is, is looking after yourself your head getting it right
1: and all that Mosse you obviously played football with a team who every year would have believed that they were in the chance of winning the all Ireland. was it spoken about like that Would you set down these were our goals this year
2: Yeah, it would have been, I suppose it developed over a couple of years, I suppose under different managers there'd be different ways of going about your preparation and uh, while I fundamentally don't agree with what John said in terms of you don't set goals I do in the sense that I don't agree with just setting the long term goal like he was saying you have to have X amount of points that's like a team saying every team in Ireland could say our goal is to win all Ireland yeah. again I don't think that's what a goal a realistic goal I think it's a case of you go out and you set your targets and your goals of how you're going to get there so I think he was trying to say that in the way he was saying you win every game and you build on it and you keep yourself healthy yeah you keep yourself healthy so I like I think they should be goals and I'd call them goals so like as a player as an individual your own personal goals as a footballer you're trying to establish yourself in the squad once you're in the squad you're trying to push yourself into the team when you're in the team you're trying to push yourself as one of the main guys to to be one of the leaders and help the team win you know so i think they're all personal individual goals that you can have and then as a team you can like you can't control winning on all ireland in january but you can't control improving yourself to get there so i think i think it's a little bit different than what john's saying you know
1: when you were starting out on the team did you know all that is that something that you kind of learn as you go along or like to get to the level where you're capable of making a dublin team at i don't know 2021 whatever age you were you probably already have to have been doing that for a while
2: yeah, well, I would have been like it would have been a goal of mine to make the Dublin team first. Like I would have played a lot more hurling when I was younger. I would have played a lot more when I was minor. Like I never played Dublin football minor or anything like that. I would have been a hurler. And I think when I was coming out of minor, I, I was it was more of a target and it was more of an ambition for me. It was probably more of a challenge to see if I could establish myself on the Dublin football squad. So that was like an, my own individual goal at that time. And when I achieved that, getting onto the squad, it was about pushing on and trying to develop and play. So How do
1: you go from being a hurler to a footballer? Does someone tap you on the shoulder
2: and say? No, like I no like I would have played both the whole way up but I, I probably would have been a bit more natural as a hurler I suppose when I was younger and then I just uh, when I was probably 17, 18 16, 17, 18 I was developing and like I said it was probably more of a challenge for me to see if I could get it first on a dumb under 21 football team and then progress on and I kind of felt at the time that that, that like, I, I liked the competitiveness of that just to see if I could really push myself to see yeah. if I could get to that level yeah. yeah
1: so that was kind of an internal drive yeah
2: absolutely yeah. Trevor
1: for you um, again it's like a, a squad that's starts every season thinking we have to win we're going to win we're capable of winning this
0: yeah but exactly but it's like what mossy says you need to have kind of achievable and realistic goals I can kind of see where, where John Giles come from there um, but you need to be a little bit it's a bit vague to be saying I'm going to go out and do my best You know, you have to be able to measure some sort of progress. Give yourself some sort of targets. It could be a little bit harder in soccer to have um, targets like in rugby, where you you need to hit at least ten or eleven tackles, maybe three or four carries in the first ten minutes. Yeah, it's more measurable in rugby, but there must be some method of doing it. Otherwise, uh, you know, you need uh, even outside of sport. If you don't have some way of measuring your progress, then you're going to stagnate and. If, if, if you don't give yourself some targets you know you're going to end up becoming you know in the same position as you were last season you're not going to progress but I do know the, the only way I could see maybe justifying what, what Johnny Giles is saying there uh, is possibly some players might respond well to the pressure of a goal I think maybe that's, that's one area you could look at Yeah I think you know.
1: for, for John was, he was kind of there was a, a bit more of that conversation where he was kind of talking mm-hmm. about like, he knew when he was playing well and he knew when he wasn't playing well yeah. and that over a period of time he knew that if he kept himself fit and healthy and, and got his mentality right then he was going to be the leader in the team and that was for him like week in week out was kind of reaching yeah. a very high level and sustaining that level was the thing
0: well, and that's it. As as a coach, you probably have to realise who can respond. Like obviously, Johnny Giles is someone that's not going to respond to being told you have to do X amount this game. You know, so you'd have to deal with him in a certain way that you would have to deal with another player. Maybe like, maybe say him and Dunphy. He probably might need that something target to aim yeah. for in a, in a match. Yeah, simple goals. Now that's that's something as a coach you have to identify. What type of player were you? I, I would definitely like, I responded well to it when Enda McNulty came in and gave us goals, specific targets to deal with ourselves. So, even going out before the, the match, sometimes a coach would come up to your checks. We often come up and say, This is what I want you to do today. Just simple, simplify that. I responded, I personally liked that, gave me a simple focus for, for, for what to do that day. Um, so the nebulous goals, like, oh, let's
1: go and win the Heineken Cup on the first day of the season, that, that stuff that never worked for you.
0: Well, it wouldn't really apply on an individual level. It's good to have that to bring the cohesive unity within a squad that you have a certain target. Yeah. And. Chex was brilliant at some of that stuff like you know he used to like, he'd, he'd have like um, a visual image of Everest and at the top of our Ever, Everest one year was, was the Heineken Cup so every time when you walked in you'd see that he actually got someone in to, to paint it on the wall you know so it mightn't apply realistically to every individual, but it was something that would bind everyone together. And it's there in the know. background the whole time. And it's there in the background as well. And you know, it is kind of vague. It's it's there, but it does draw everyone together tighter. You know. Yeah. Obviously, individual
1: sports are totally different. I I guess that you have specific goals if, if and in athletics because every stride is measurable. You know, probably down to the the very last millisecond exactly what your goal
3: for each training session is, would that be right? Yeah, like I just started the season, I sit down with my coaches and, you know, we plan out our long term goals for the season. They might be, you know, a target time I need to run to qualify for the Olympics, the World Championships, whatever. And then we'd set other goals based off that. Like we would say we bring it back to target times and training. So during the winter we'd be doing longer stuff. So we'd have target times and recoveries and then moving it forward towards the championship it would change towards that it might be coming towards body fats as well keeping your body fats lower you know running this certain time in training things like that even when it comes to, to reps and um, when you're doing cleans in the gym you know it's everything for us is so important and reps and cleans what do you mean these are bad repetitions like so if you're you know you're looking for you know personal best in the gym and stuff like that everything's measured so if you're trying to go for you know a PB in the gym you know it's measured that you're not just doing it out of the hand you're doing it because it's important to a certain aspect aspect of your training like
1: and your stuff in the gym is weights yeah you're talking about yeah and and, and lifting and and
3: and is that the speed or the uh, yeah it could be even now in, in institute of sport they brought in these new cameras so you know you can measure bar speed you can measure you know how far you go down it's things like that it's the better you get the more important things are, and I think um, you know if we, you've spoken about Mo Farah, and I think he moved to Alberto Salazar over in America, and everything is measured down to the finest detail. He might measure them, but he has a support staff that measures that, and that's why he's double Olympic champion. Yeah, you just on
0: that when you hit those targets. I mean, there is there is evidence that the brain releases endorphins or chemicals as well when you achieve a target. You know, and that drives you on to to go for it again the next time. So it's not. I know I, I respect Johnny Giles, what he's where he's coming from but there is evidence to say that this kind of it, it's not just a vague thing that you do up on, on, a, on a whiteboard it actually does drive the individual and the collective onto actually becoming better and from training session to training session yeah you, you can, can break can, it down that level uh, was it getting to that level with the doves
2: yeah absolutely I think yeah, a lot of what Brian is saying there just in terms of our preparation and I think in the last couple of years, I think the, our, our support, our support staff, even have uh, grown, and you can see we've experts in every field, and especially from the strength and conditioning and the the backside of nutrition preparation. Uh, I was saying to Brian outside, we were talking about uh, just the young guys coming through for Dublin at the moment, and I suppose back in the early two thousands when I was coming into the squad, that would have been around the time weights would have been really making a kind of breakthrough for GA. Like you would have looked at the Armagh team at the time in Toronto and teams like that, and. Other teams are probably trying to play catch up, and I look at it, and we were probably getting the benefit of it when we were twenty four and twenty five. So, yeah. whereas I look at the young guys coming in now, and they're doing it as minors. And our strength and conditioning coach last year was doing strength and conditioning with the minor team, and we had four guys that came in last year, probably in April after the under twenty one all Ireland, and like Bundam was doing his leaving cert, and these guys were ready. Like it wasn't as if they were coming in. And they were at a stage where they're going to need a year or two to to kind of fit in and just get used to it. Like It was the difference, and you can just see the level it's going to now at at that age and the benefit they're going to get from being so prepared and having that
1: expertise. There's an automatic assumption that because they start this at an earlier stage that actually they'll burn out earlier. But from what you're saying, maybe the the management of this could actually be better and that they they might Uh, even last longer.
2: You'd like to think so. I I would have a small concern over that. Like I think... like. you see some GA players especially are lasting into their into their 30s i think there's a bit of a a bit of an early once someone hits 30 they're nearly already asked every year well, when are you finishing yeah. up or when are you retiring and i think some players have proven you can go on but it'll be interesting to see uh, in terms of these young guys coming in now particularly guys who play around the middle third how their bodies will hold up will they last for 10 and 12 year careers like where they don't miss a year with injury or like a long sustained periods you know yeah, so you're got it sounds like you're saying you're worried that they won't be able to last yeah i'd have i'd have some, i'd have concerns like it like I think we're probably at the first phase of these guys coming through, so it'll be interesting to see how long, like, because. Uh, not that it'd be regular, but there will be a number of guys you could name who play for counties for ten years and twelve years. They come out of minor and they last till their early thirties. But yeah. it'll be interesting to see now once guys hit their mid twenty late twenties. Like if their st- if their bodies are still holding up as much as Antonelli, so you'd like to think so. I think with the expertise and with coaches, but you just the fear is that some coaches might feel well, I get the best out of them now, and then you know it well, doesn't matter down the road. Well, not that it doesn't matter. You, w- you wouldn't like think anyone to think that, but just it'll be interesting to see now in a yeah. couple of years. Yeah,
1: here's a good question from Peter and Cashel: If goals are something important for athletes, how do lads cope with failing to reach goals I presume he's talking about here. Um, It's a good point, what happens when uh, you're in the gym and you don't hit your personal best even though you kind of had set up today
3: to do it? There's so many circumstances around it. It could be, you know, illness, tiredness, you know, there's there's different circumstances. So you you never know exactly why you don't reach your goal, but you just got to look back at it and reassess. And, you know, of the overall picture, you know, did this one training session have such a massive effect? You know, I think more like, what if it's a target time, say that you've kind of
1: built up for four or five months and the the whole previous time and, and program has been to get there and you don't hit that time.
3: Yeah, I don't know, Like it, it can be difficult, you know, myself and training and stuff like that. I've, You know, I haven't always hit times and stuff like that. But I think, you know, you don't let yourself get too down about it. At the end of it, it is just a target. When you come to competition, you know, you're a different animal. You know, all of a sudden, you know, all these, you know, thousands of people watching, you, you get that extra little bit in competition. I think, you know, if you just focus on the, the hard training you put in over the, the, comp, the few months, you know, I think if you can get to the competition fit and healthy, you know, I think, Goals are only a guideline. Doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna, you know, win the Olympics or not win the Olympics. I think you know it just kind of brings you along that path and keeps you focused. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's a great, a great point from from Peter and Casher there because it, if you, if it's all about how you respond to things as a good sports person, it's like this microcosm of losing a game. If you crumble when 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 it comes to it, and in, if you lose and you can't handle that defeat, if you can't respond to that, then you're not going to be able to deal with. With being a good sports person that 's part of, of of the the process and if you, if you don 't make your targets there 's no point in buckling completely then you have to um, just bring it all together again deep within yourself and, and go again. you know. And so you learn from maybe not getting goals as much as you would from getting the goal yeah. and see uh, what kind of resolve you have within yourself as a sports person, or as a person generally, not to buckle, not to crumble and not to quit when, when it comes to the crunch. Yeah. Um, also an interesting point about the difference
1: between uh, the training and the actual event itself and that extra bits that you get in front of the crowds. Did you find that as a footballer that it's... The league is grand, there's 15,000 at a a big league game when you go away, or maybe 6,000 depending on the the, uh, size of the ground, but then come the championship there's 50,000, 80,000. Does it change how you play on those days?
2: Um, yeah, you probably feed off the adrenaline a little bit more, like championship always meant more than league, no matter, even if it was a league final or whatever, first round of championship would probably still mean more than that, so.
1: And does that change across the course of the championship too then? So the first round of the championship uh, yeah, is... yeah, I think
2: I think you adapt, I think the more you're in the situation, you just learn, like you learn to deal with it and it's not, I think the first few times, it's it's more of an experience and you kind of, you're more aware of your surroundings, but I think once you've done it a couple of times, I think it just becomes second nature and you see guys get much more relaxed in that environment and some of them feed off it, you can see See some guys are just better players when the pressure's on and in big situations like that, and they they actually they actually relish that challenge, you know.
1: Yeah, I think for an athlete though, it's it's maybe the the margins are so small. You run four hundred meters, and if your four hundred meters doesn't go very well, whereas if you make a run and drop a ball at the end of it, there's going to be another one in a couple of minutes' time. Yeah. Or if you kick a wide, at least you're going to have a chance to you're going to get the ball in your hands again. That's a, it's a brinkmanship maybe that the athletes have that even GA and rugby players don't have.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, even looking at myself with the Europeans, I, my goal was to make the final at the Europeans. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I got injured in the semi finals. But in a way, I've learned from that, you know, and I'm probably more motivated now to to go on and, you know, strive for, for better things in the future. You know, I, I've learned from my goal and I haven't got too upset about it. So I think, you know, I've taken the positives out of it, you know, a pretty grim situation. I think, you know, it depends on the individual. But if you, if you can do that, you know, you'll be okay. Does everybody secretly have uh,
1: Fran and Tremor says Michael Jordan always stated that his goal was to be the best basketball player of all time. Modest goals get you nowhere. Does everybody secretly have one of those kind of? I'm going to be footballer of the year this year, and like in the bleak
2: November when you're out training. sure everyone has it's like a dream I suppose in the back of your head like where it's a a long term thing but I think when you actually get back into training and back into like putting on your gear and going out into a situation particularly in a team sport where you're going out with your teammates I think stuff like that kind of probably disappears a little bit yeah there's no time for the dreaming the daydreaming. no like of course I think you have to like you have to they're the dreams that drive you to to go out training and push yourselves in the mornings and the evenings when you're training, but I think they again stuff like we're gonna like it's easy to say it when the man ended up being the best basketballer of yeah, all time, you know. Yeah. Like I know, and there's everybody t-
1: else who had the same dream doesn't brag about it afterwards Yeah, exactly. So true. like
2: it doesn't mean you can't think it, but I, I don't think there would be too many people going around saying it. You know. Yeah,
0: you're not in your head there. It's it's fair enough for Michael Jordan to say that, but it is. Yeah, and it's completely different. The humility is probably more of a quality in, in Ireland, and if you if you came out with something like that here, you'd be cut down fairly quick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we might talk about um a home a rugby
1: player a little bit later on as well 53106 the text them. we've got to take a quick break right back after these
4: news talk sport Saturday
1: in association with UPC
4: the Fibre Power Network bringing you all the action in HD
1: Alright we'll get back to our panel in just one moment but first we've got to go to uh, Dave in Tullamore who's keeping an eye on the under 21 All-Ireland football semi-finals and uh, a bit of daylight between Galway and Kildare at the moment Dave
5: Yeah just a little half time at O'Connor Park Galway three points clear they lead Kildare by goal and six points to 1-3 Galway up in the scoring Jared Truth and 19 year old corner forward Shane Walsh Kildare really took over in midfield though from that point on Created a lot of opportunities couldn't quite find the range until Daniel Flynn got them up and running in the sixth minute away grabbed the game's first goal five minutes later through Thomas Flynn against the run of play it has to be said but Kildare hit back almost immediately with a goal of their own Daniel Flynn again on target Niall Kelly and Shane Walsh then swap points to keep the sides level with ten minutes of the first half left and Kildare playing into a stiff enough breeze but they have enjoyed the better of the half until the last ten minutes they're late eight wides a tally really that will have left Kieran McGuini very displeased and Goway very much in the game and Kildare looking to be paying for it when their Galway team captain Fjuntano on their corner forward Ian Burke and centre forward Sean Moore on all delivered brilliant points in play and suddenly Galway found themselves three points clear they had a goal attempt for me and Burke as well and had that gone in they really would have been in a very promising position Fiont Delling then made it a two point game but a third score for the really impressive Shane Walsh restored Galway's three point lead and that's how it stands at the break Galway won six Kildare won three Jaron just a little bit of controversy from both teams in the first half it looked to me from my angle that each team Kildare and Goy had clear-cut points ruled wide, and that might be something that will be discussed in the aftermath of the game if it goes either way by a point or two. Yeah, well, Hawkeye's been uh,
1: launched on Monday, I think, so uh, I'm sure it'll come up at the press conference for that, Dave. Thanks for that. More from Dave a little bit later on. Our panel, Trevor Hogan, Mossy Quinn and Brian Gregan. Um, I want to talk about a story that uh, popped up during the week. The GPA issued a statement on behalf of Kevin and the down footballer, who um, felt that he had to clarify A story that appeared in a couple of newspapers. The uh, headline was "Mornstar McKernan fury at travelling teammates. I can't speak for the group but I'd be personally disappointed he said. The choice was a summer in America or playing for your county. To me you can go to America any time of the year. I'd always work my travels around football was the actual quotes Um, but it was reported as him being uh, furious and (laughs) slamming his um, teammates. But well, stuff like this I think is um going to happen increasingly and will f- drive a further wedge between particularly GAA players and the media.
2: Yeah, I think so I think when you read his comments I don't think there's I think he's been perfectly reasonable in, in his comments I don't think there's anything over the top in it and I suppose when you see a headline like that he's going to be disappointed with it so um, he obviously felt the need to, to clarify that um, it's disappointing because what it'll do is it'll make players more sceptical to talk and particularly be open in terms of their conversations and you know, teams are always afraid of giving a bit of ammunition to anyone else. I know this was an internal matter, but one of the big things is you'd hear that everyone gives the cliched answers and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's this I is just, why people give b- cliches. Basically, yeah, because you'd be afraid that if you were talking about another team and you said uh, they're they're flying it, but they did a poor game the last day. You know, you could come up and it could say slams, Dublin player slams, yeah. Leash player, and you could be playing Leash in two weeks' time. So I think I think that's probably one of the reasons why you'd see a lot of GA players being being very cautious in in talking to the Idea.
1: When you're given those interviews in the middle of your career, are you aware of the fact that you're not saying anything like and, and that it's not as interesting as it could be? Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you would be, yeah. But like and it got to the stage where being honest, we probably uh we knew we put a bit of preparation into the kind of uh, the message is the wrong word, but what we were and weren 't going to say and weren 't like we kind of tried to dictate what we were going to discuss, you know mm-hmm. so um because you didn't want to create an environment like that or create a create a situation which you you lose control over you know like we had control over what we were going to say, and that was the way like we tried to keep it yeah Trevor, I guess it's totally different for a professional because you can pretty much
1: you know you can slam your opposition if you want, but the extra motivation that they're going to get from it it, it's probably a lesser important thing it's, uh, yeah. the better
0: team wins the better prepared team tends to win more often you'd be surprised though ammunition is crucial in rugby as well and if someone came out and said something I noticed just to bring it more uh, up to date it's with the Paul O'Connell uh, incident last week that Claremont second row um, Jamie Codmore was tweeting about saying he should have been cited you know and you know, it, it just creates an edge now for Monster, and I can imagine the 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 intensity is going to be going up a notch already with something like that coming out. Yeah, they but obviously uh, had a bit of history themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. And
1: then Nathan Hines was um, was like kind of getting involved too on yeah, Twitter.
0: Yeah, really mi- putting it in the mix now. Um, that's going to so work you think out. that we'll have a okay, well I don't know I don't know I'd say <laughs> just a little it, bit it will <laughs> add a little bit I, I would think but uh, it does make it aware because the, the media and there seems to, to be a little bit of a trend in certain papers now just to sensationalise and the language used there with fury uh, and slamming and hitting out you know there's no need for them to do that I wonder where that's coming from is there a, a pressure with maybe because there's so much online stuff now the papers are trying to you know um, sensationalise things and it's only going to backfire on, on both the media and the players as well, you know. So, it's worrying to see that trend, and, and you can you can um, you can see it maybe the history within rugby. Anyway, there was always a scepticism skeptic- towards certain elements within within certain commentators, and you know, I see you know, compare it to even recently enough Joe Smith when he was um, initially with Leinster. The first four or five games went bad, yeah, and, and certain papers were calling for his head. And these same papers now are, are clamouring for him to be, you know, named a Pope as well as the next Irish uh, coach. So the credibility, there's a credibility issue there as well and you'd just be wondering what's driving the media or certain papers to go down that road rather than just trying to be straight up with, with people. And you might get the benefit from players themselves then. Yeah.
3: Brian, what's your take on all this? Um, with me, it's, it's kind of different, you know wouldn't be as much ammunition like athletics is a pretty friendly sport you know everyone gets on pretty well so we wouldn't be slamming anyone yeah we'll get on (laughs) to that one later but um yeah like jerry's had some comments against me as well when i I hurt myself so you know you just take it with a pinch of salt you know and, and you move on but you know i think now with the social media and stuff i think you have to be pretty careful what you say because you find yourself in papers quoted from your social media so in regards to that, you need to be pretty careful. But you know, yeah. I tried to be as honest as I could as well. I do think that there's um, an athletics
1: social media storm brewing after some uh, tweets from Thomas Chamney this morning. We're not going to bring them up now. We might just, uh, check them out first before we talk about them. But uh, the other thing about social media is though that it actually allows people to control the message a bit more as well. Mostly, like you know, Kevin Curnin chose not to tweet this himself. He chose to go to the GPA, mm. which I thought was an interesting. Decision as well because that lends massive weight then of the whole organisation and reminds everybody that well you know you, you take on one of us you take on all of us but equally he could have just gone this is nonsense today from this newspaper and this headline that's not true that's not how it happened
2: yeah but then would the paper have bothered reporting it if it just came from him like they might they probably would have and to follow up on it but like you said it adds a weight to it it adds it adds a back into it and like his comments were very like they were normal I think any team mate, if Yeah if, if else, three of your
1: team disappears for the summer you're going to be
2: disappointed Yeah particularly if they've effectively wasted three months you know of your time if you're like you could understand it if in January they turned around and said right lads we're going to America for the summer you'd say fine you bring in three guys that want to be there yeah. and try and help the team get better but if they've been there from January probably before January and they decide to leave in April you know it's 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 such a kick to the rest of it, their teammates you know so I can understand his, his frustration from it So you think he Was slamming them then.
0: Yeah, well... You're slamming them now.
2: I'd say he probably slammed them a bit more than he did in the papers anyway,
0: yeah. In fairness to to the journalists, though, it's probably not their fault. There's someone, you know, in the offices that does that, uh, puts the headline on it, you know. Yeah, the the sub-editors who get the blame for everything. Yeah, blame them.
1: 53106 is the text number here. I want you to have a listen to uh, Brian O'Driscoll. He's um, doing some stuff for The Telegraph. Here he is answering a question about who the greatest Irish athlete is. Peter Stevens emailed in, in my opinion, you're the greatest Irish athlete of all time. Thank you, Peter. In your opinion, who do you think is the greatest ever Irishman or woman of all time? It's the uh, hurler Henry Shefflin.
2: This guy has been an absolute uh, phenomenon Uh, for the last 12, 13 years. He's won nine All-Ireland Championships
1: with his county, and um, they're not easy to come by.
0: You're from Tipperary. Surely you can't possibly agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, in fairness, so it, Brian, like it's it was a nice move to give it to a GA lad, and it was a good way for, for rugby, um to kind of mm-hmm. increase his solidarity with GA. Um, I might necessarily, well, I probably don't think I would agree with him. Look, Henry's an absolute legend, all right, but in terms of. You know, an athlete, I suppose athlete is is, uh, is kind of a strange one because athlete, in, you know, kind of it's like uh, uh, agility and stamina and all that. And Henry definitely has that. But you might, be, might you might even be leaning towards an athletics personality for something like that if you're going down the road of athlete as yeah. opposed to maybe sports person. Um, go on then, do that. So, well, I would go down the road of sports person. I'd probably think of someone like... For me it's just it's very subjective i'd be looking at paul mcgrath as a sports person who, who represents everything I, I would look up to in, in a sports person his humility his he's just his, his aggression on the field and he's just you know down-to-earth nature and uh, especially when we're up against it, you know yeah um, but if you're going down athletes you could probably think of uh, other people as well in terms of you Know maybe Sonia Sullivan, just to think of athletics that that kind of area would would have the, the stamina and the agility and all that aspect. But um, Henry's still not knocking Henry. What he did to come back from that cruise, as well on a couple of occasions, and, and to do what he's done with, with Kilkenny is absolute savage. Yeah, Brian, you're not there at Sonia. to mention Sonia
3: is that, just... yeah, I think definitely Sonia. I think um, Henry's obviously a, an amazing player, but I think in the context of you know GAA and stuff can be a domestic sport I think I have such respect for the players but you know when you're competing as an athlete against you know Different gene pools. You know, you're coming against these Ethiopians and Kenyans that are living at altitude. You know, they have a certain genetic disposition that, you know, you're nearly at a disadvantage straight away. Like you, like for Usain Bolt, you look at him straight away, you're like, oh, Lord, this guy, you know, he looks talented before he steps on the track. So, you know, in that kind of sense, it's like a, it's, it's a different gene pool you're competing against. And, you know, seeing Sonia being able to compete against these people or Eamon Cochran, you know, I think, you know, they would rate up there pretty highly. Who got you into 400 meter
1: sprinting? Like, or did you just like athletics as a kid?
3: Yeah, no, I loved athletics as a kid. But you've got, you know, Michael Johnson, you know, double He was the double world record holder. And then at home, you know, you you've got Eamon and who you know I know quite well. And you're just such a down to earth person. And just talking to people like that, you know, it just it motivates you to to, to go on. And when did you kind of become specifically a 400 meter runner? Um, probably when I was about sixteen, seventeen I did a, I did a bit of um hurdling when I was younger I over four hundred hurdles and you know, people are like you know, the hurdles are in your way, you can't you really get over them. You're not hurdling, you're jumping them, you know. You know, I'd be jumping and I'd make up the ground on the straight so to like get rid of the hurdles and all of a sudden I was breaking, you know, twenty year old records straight away. Okay. That sounds like a good story, all right. Who are you picking?
2: Um, I think as a GA player like, I'd agree with Shefflin I think he's what he's done is phenomenal um, but I think if you're going with the best sports person I'd agree with Brian I think you, you probably need to go to a world stage and I think you look at an Irish athlete who's who's at the very elite in their performance at a world stage and I probably think Brian O'Driscoll's been a bit humble when he's been asked the question I don't think you can look past him arguably Roy Keane as a player yeah. was up there as well Like I think at his, in his prime any people talk about world 11s and things like that, I think he probably would have walked into any world team. So those two, in my memory, like I'm not young enough to look back at, I'm not old enough even <laughs> to look back at, uh, at other people, but from from what I've seen, I think I think um, the impact they've made on the world stage puts them right up there. Who was the best player you played with? Played with? Um, probably Alan Brogan or Stephen Cluxton. I think Alan Brogan is made to play in Crow Park in the summer. I think it suits him down to the ground and his performance has reflected that and Stephen is just an in, he, his level of consistency and the level he's brought goalkeeping to in, in the last 10 years is just phenomenal his kick and everything that he has he's into his game I think they're probably the two most consistent
1: um, Brian O'Driscoll actually said that uh, Ethan Assay was, was the best player that he's played with when he did a, a different question and answer for a different sponsor that one was for HSBC um,
0: yeah I think yeah, loads of lads would say that in Leinster as yeah. well that Issa is probably is the best player. I mean, just it, it, um, reinforces what a loss he's going to be. But uh, as as Matthew was saying there, Brian O'Driscoll, the, the the modesty of him is he's looking to pick other lads the whole time, and maybe f- forgot to mention how brilliant he is. I mean, even last week's try against against Munster, he's just got a complete all round ability as a sports person, and probably that's what you're looking for as well. And he probably if on reflection. I'd probably be looking at him, maybe edging out know, Paul McGrath
1: All right, well you've changed your mind. Yeah, <laughs> that was that
0: was easily done.
1: That's <laughs> right, great panel today. Thanks a million to Brian Greig and to Mossy Quinn and to Trevor Hogan. We're going to be back with the team news from today's Premier League games right after these. News Talk Sport Saturday in association with UPC, the fibre
4: power network with true on-demand TV.